right. Good evening. Welcome to Hope Lower Town. Glad you could make it. Um, you know, some of you are probably watching the game and your smartphones while you're sitting there, but um, I'm not a Chiefs fan, but I'm definitely not a Tom Brady fan, if you know what I'm saying. So go Chiefs tonight. Yeah. Um, no, I'm sure Tom's a nice guy in real life, but nobody cares. Why are we talking about this? Welcome. Um, my name is Brian, um, pastor here, um, and uh, pred- predominantly at this location, and, and uh, speak here, preach here, and um, and oversee what's going on with with this space. and And so thankful to uh, be here uh, at First Baptist Church and and using this space. And so um, as John Oliverson. Uh, beautifully mentioned we're going to be starting a new new sermon series in first peter and i'm really excited about this this is uh and that was john's first time ever doing announcements so uh thanks john well done (laughs) and how about andrew what a what a man of many talents playing the drums and singing at the same time yeah that's he's up there with like ringo Starr. he's the only drummer i know that did that is there other drummers i'm sure do that but i don't know i don't know um, yeah, if you're a drummer, let him know. Um, I'm sure he'd, he'd appreciate that. Um, and even, actually, I'm going to tell you a little fun story. There's a guy that was a drummer, um, and we just recently started doing our own things here with our own musicians at this location, which is fantastic. Uh, but one of our drummers that, that goes to downtown, he actually decided to start playing drums because of the game Rock Band. He was really good at the video game and said, hey, you know what? I'm really good at this game. Maybe I can do it in real life. And he's phenomenal. So if you're like, well, I don't know. I've never done it. But you're an expert on rock band? You never know. Give it a shot. Um, that's that. Okay, let me, um, I want to jump jump into this. Every single book on preaching or public communicating in any way, shape, or form um, tells you don't ever use sports analogies because not everyone is into sports. And I totally agree, um, even though I still do that from time to time. But tonight, I'm not, I'm using athletes as an example. I'm not talking about football, but I, I, it's got a, it's got a point, okay? And so there's two, two men that I want to quote. One of them is, is Cody Parkey. He was the kicker, is, is the kicker, he didn't get fired for it, he still is the kicker for the Chicago Bears, and, and he missed a last second field goal, and actually it was tipped, okay, so it wasn't even his fault, it, was, it, was, it, went, it would go down in the books as a block, but it cost his team the game, and he was willing to take the blame for it, and he's on national TV, and he's actually sharing his, his faith on TV, we saw this a lot with Tim Tebow, if you remember uh, uh, Tebow time. Um, but he was, he was always talking about his, his faith on, on TV. And Cody simply, um, they were asking about how hard this was for him. He said, of course, I feel terrible about this. But then he said, football is what I do. It's not who I am. And he assured the people that, no, I'm, I'm actually in Christ. And that's where my foundation comes from, not football. I could lose my job tomorrow, and I would still have joy in who Christ is. And I don't know, I don't know Cody. I don't know, I don't know his faith. I don't know anything like that. I'm just, just using a quote that he, that he gave. And another young man, I think he's only 20, right, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's the quarterback for Clemson. They just won the uh, championship, national championship. And young guy, uh, I think he's in his junior year. Um, but same thing. What? Oh, he's a freshman. What? Okay, he's a freshman. Sunshine. That's what I always think when I see this guy. Um, he, he, he wins a national championship, right? Okay, so he's, what, 18, 19 years old then, right? Wins this championship. And as a teenager, that, that makes the story even that much better. As a teenager, he's asked about football in his life. And this is what he says. He says, football is important to me, but it's not my life. It's not the biggest thing in my life. I would say my faith is. 
That just uh, comes from knowing who I am outside of that. No matter how big the situation is, it's not going to define me. I put my identity in what Christ says and who he thinks I am and who I know that he says I am. Whoa! And this guy says it on the national stage, right in front of millions of people watching this. This is what this guy says. Again, I don't know anything about this guy. I want to make a point as we get into this series, Between Two Worlds, we're getting into 1 Peter, and this is hands down my favorite book of the Bible. So, so there may be some long nights. Just kidding. I won't do that to you. Um, but I, I just, I love this book, and, and there's, there's so much, so many good commentaries and things that have been written about it, but, he, but, but Peter kind of gets a backseat to, to Paul and, and the letters that he writes, especially Romans, but there is so much in here that, that Peter is not just randomly throwing words down, that they all have connection, they have meaning, and a lot of it is tied to the Old Testament. And so if you're here two weeks ago, I was preaching on the covenants, just trying to tie that through to get us to realize that there's not just these two worlds of Old and New Testament, that we're, we're in the new covenant now in Christ, but what can we learn? What, can, what, what does Peter draw from these analogies and from these quotes that he's going to take from the Old Testament to bring in into the new? But then also this idea of kind of the, the already not yet that we've mentioned before. This idea that I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, and yet I still sin, right? I am a citizen of heaven, and yet I still live in this world. How do I conduct myself here in the now, in this moment, in this day? And so that's what this book is about. And so I want to look at even these two men who play football and, and, and a boy who plays football, um, looking at their analogies or illustrations, able to say, wow, I, I, that we can talk about our faith, right? And they even do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that in a minute. So, so just hang on to that. Um, we normally have a little, a little handout, and that's my fault. I forgot to, forgot to grab that chest. <clears throat> and then, um, I'm just kidding. I normally try to grab them too. Um, but we have a little blurb. And usually Pastor Cora writes a little blurb about kind of the, the passage that we're going through and the sermon series that we're in. And, and he quoted C.S. Lewis um, in his little blurb, and it says this, if you find yourself with the desire that no experience in this world can satisfy. And the most probable explanation is that you are made for another world. And that is really what, where we're going to be going, is looking at how are we in this world but not of the world? How do we conduct ourselves as a believer uh, without maybe, you know, hammering them over the head with our theology and, 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 and blessing the society and helping the city while being true to the faith and to what Christ teaches? So... Today we're going to be looking at just an introduction to 1 Peter, and I like fell asleep as I was typing that, so I, I changed it a little bit. Developing the plot of 1 Peter is what we're going to call it, um, of looking at where are we going, who is Peter, um, is he really a big deal, <laughs> whatever. Uh, we're going to look at, at that, and we're going to just cover just those, those two verses that were read uh, by John, and we're going to go through those just very briefly at the end. And, I, and again, I, I wish I almost had a whole sermon to develop to, the, to go to the introduction and then a whole other sermon for those two verses, but we're going we're gonna to try to get them both done here. Um, so this is what my, my buddy Martin Luther says about this, that it is one of the noblest books in the New Testament and a paragon of excellence on par with Romans. 
right? I mean, that's, that's a sense, right? A paragon of excellence on par with Romans. And this is coming from a guy who wrote many, many volumes of commentaries on the book of Romans. And so there's so much truth packed into this. And, it's, and I will say this without any hesitation. It is hands down the most practical book, especially for, and I, and I mean this, we don't, I don't, we don't get a whole lot very political in here. As an American citizen of this country, uh, if you're not, I apologize, but I think this is so relevant for our time right now. And I'm really excited. Actually, Martin Luther said that it contains everything necessary for a Christian to know that it is just a really rich book. I'm going to be quoting Karen uh, Jobes a lot. She hands down has the best commentary um, on First Peter and um, just has such a good Christ-centered theology of not just looking at the nuts and bolts and the Greek. And, and, and Peter actually will throw in uh, Hebrew words every once in a while because Greek wasn't the best. Um, and so uh, she's just a scholar. She's phenomenal. And she says this, the life of Jesus and the believer's life are inseparable in Peter's thought. That everything that I do is enveloped in Christ and because of who he is and my position in Christ. In 1 Peter, Jesus is not only the object of Christian faith, he is also the pattern of Christian destiny. Another commentary, David Helm says this, life is difficult, but the harsh truth has not always been understood by those following Jesus Christ. What he's going to say, and really what Peter's going to bring up many times, is going to be this idea of suffering. And not just suffering uh, like I have a disease or I'm in a, in a bad relationship. I mean suffering because of my faith. So because I label myself as a conservative evangelical Christian, do I suffer persecution from that? And so he's saying here, the harsh truth has not always been understood by those following Jesus Christ. He's talking about us in this room, again, who, who are uh, American citizens who have grown up in a society where Christianity is acceptable. And I use the example of those two guys playing football because they said that and there was no negative press about it. At least not that I read. Like, hell, shut your mouth, keep it to yourself. Nobody cares about your faith. I'm sure that that was published somewhere. But I guarantee those two guys didn't feel persecuted or that they didn't suffer for their faith. And so this is, this is something that we don't fully understand. We don't really get, um, so let me finish the quote here. Many Christians today have trouble sorting out the complexity of their identity and calling in Christ. They were reared to believe that a Christian should only experience the joys of being one's God's elect, one of God's elect. And they have been taught nothing of our exilic state, state of being in exile, being an outcast, being a foreigner and a stranger in a land that I would call a home. And so again, looking at these guys, it's not how it is right now. We live, and I'm just going to talk here for a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll get, at least get their pictures off the, okay. Um, we live in a society, again, that we would say it's a, it's a Christian culture. Um, that no, we have buildings here, we publicly meet, it's on the internet, that anybody who wanted to come in here could come in here, and they're more than welcome to do that. And I don't ever, at least for now, the time being, I don't have to worry about the police coming in here, shutting this down. I don't have to do that. Maybe, maybe a fanatic that doesn't want us to be in here, sure. That's always been the case. 
but I don't have to worry about that. That we have this Christian culture and understanding that, that people go to church on Sundays. That's just what you do, right? Uh, uh, that, that you go to church, they know what Easter is, and they know what Christmas is, and, and all these different things, right? Um, that's still part of our culture and our society. But I think now, again, and again, I, I listen, I politically, we, we, I preached on, on that politics a couple, couple weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago now. Um, we don't get political in here. But because of the set, setting stage, the fact that evangelicals helped um, a very immoral man become president, again, he's still my president, okay, I'm not dogging him, that because of that, Christians and evangelicalism, people, that has shifted in people's eyes. Right? And so if you call yourself a Christian, well, then you are a mega hat, Trump supporter, Second Amendment, gun-toting Christian. Right? And that's part of what our society is right now. But I wouldn't call that persecution. Right? But I want to be able to have a conversation. So that's what we're going to be doing. But I do think this is hands down the most applicable book, even though he's going to talk about suffering for your faith. Because here's, here's why. During this time, the book is written. Oh, I'm getting wet. Let me just. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get there. I've, I. I told the guy. I told Nolan in the back. I said, you know, the bad thing is when I've. I've. I've studied this book my whole life. And I said the problem is when you study something for so long, you just want to blah. Okay, so I'm trying not to just word vomit on you tonight and at least get something. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick to my notes. If I get off track like that, just say stop it. Um, okay. Again, Karen Job says this. Wherever Christians are a minority, the message of 1 Peter takes a renewed relevance. And I think that we're there. It's just not suffering persecution yet. Okay? And we'll talk about that over the next couple of weeks. For instance, the Apostles' letter became a source of hope and encouragement to Christian students at the University of Hale in Soviet-dominated Germany after World War II. I love that. It's a quote from a guy named Boring. I'd like to read that book. Uh, in former Yugoslavia, and Muslim Indonesia, First Peter is said to be the most popular book among Christians. Um, another author here uh, discusses the contemporary relevance of First Peter to the uh, Banu tribe uh, or Banu in Africa. Uh, even when the, even within the United States, J. H. Eliot applies Peter's principle to the sanctuary movement that shelters political refugees. That any time a people group is uh, shunned or told they can't do something, or, or when we look at the church in China that is just booming right now, and it is against the law there, and it takes over because Christians get it. They get what it means to suffer, and they still see the joy of following Jesus. So, another uh, Scott McKnight says this, Peter intends his readers to understand who they are before God so that they can be who they are in society, and that's really what we're going to spend uh, most of our weeks talking about: is what does my identity in Christ practically, tangibly have to do uh, with me now in this time? And just kind of a recap of the whole book: this guy uh, Wedlin sees Peter's letter addressing seven distinct problems in the Christian communities and problems resulting from various responses to social pressure. Okay, so that's the the suffering or the persecution, and these are the these are the seven things. Number one, physical. And psychological pressure, pressure, and and some of these might ring home to you. You might have friends, you might have family. It's like, man, yeah, yeah that's me. I don't know if I'd call it like persecution or suffering, but man, yeah, there's some of this stuff, and some of this stuff is going on. It does go on in our society right now. Physical and psychological pressure. Two, social ostracism and exclusionism or exclusion. Three, potential pull from the former pagan way of life of like, oh no, you, you, can, you, can, you don't have to do that. You can live like this. Four, a surrounding, seductive, non-Christian worldview. 
Five, tensions and inconsistent behavior within the fellowship, so even within our own body of seeing uh, strife and confusion. Six, spiritual doubts about the reliability of God's promises and the future. All right, this happens, uh, I just had a, a, one of my meetings that I do for uh, skeptics and, and non-believers and, and uh, had an atheist, and that was where he go. It's where, immediately where he went of, of, can you really believe the Bible is God's word? And we want to engage people on an intellectual level. And that was, that was one of the things that came up. And then seven, Satan's constant deadly temptations and trials. When identified in these terms, the problems Peter addresses are just as real in the churches around the world today as they were in first century Asia Minor. And so this is an incredibly, incredibly practical, practical book for us as we get into this. So who wrote it and when was it written? Um, this is one of those slides. I'm, I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to put quotes or slides about this. Um, and I don't want to just say, hey, take my word for it, okay? Because there's a lot of uh, pages that have been written talking about, did Peter actually write it? Um, and, and I would emphatically say yes, okay? I, I believe wholeheartedly that Peter wrote this, not some pseudonym. I mean, he, it starts off, Peter, an apostle of Christ. And there was conversations that are, are said and things that he, this author knew that had to have been someone who knew and walked with Jesus, um, and we can get into the language and different things there. Um, but I'm definitely banking on, on the fact that Peter wrote this book. But when was it written? Now, that is exciting. Exciting. I don't, it's not the like, Yeah, when did you write it? But it was written somewhere uh, in the mid-50s to the 60s. Okay, it's really important because at this time, there were emperors that were in control that did not like Christianity. Right, there were these uprisings and, and these different things. This would have been before the, the Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, the temple was destroyed there. But there would have been persecutions. Nero, right, if you heard of him, he's not the greatest king. He wasn't the greatest emperor, right? He would, he would actually take Christians and he would dip them in oil and then use them and light them on fire to use them as candles during his parties. Okay, listen, Trump's not doing that, right? I, I don't have to worry about getting lit on fire because I'm a Christian, okay? And yet, as we get there later on, Peter's going to say, honor the emperor. What? How can we honor somebody who doesn't honor God? Well, we're going to get there to be continued. And, but this is very practical for our point in our time here. So Peter wrote it around this time, mid-first uh, century, and, um, and he would have been an older man um, at this time. Uh, he was about the same age as Jesus, actually, uh, as, as people say. It's kind of funny because a lot of the, the pictures, if you've seen all these pictures of Peter and Jesus, Peter's always like this old bearded man. And, and it's, it's like, no, he was the same age. He might have even been younger than, than Jesus. Um, but that's just how he's always, always depicted. So, so let's meet Peter. And what we're going to do tonight for the remainder of the time, most of the time here, is we're just going to look at who Peter was, kind of his history, his story, um, what was he like, his personality? Because it's very important to the first thing that he says in the passage that we read of Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. All right, who is Peter? Let's look at his call. The call of Peter into discipleship. This is Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. Um, I will read all the passages, but feel free to try to keep up. We're gonna be kind of all over the New Testament looking at Peter. It says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that is Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Okay, so he was a fisherman, young man. Uh, Jesus would have been 30 at this point, so Peter would have been 29, 30. Uh, older than almost everybody in here. I'm just kidding. 
Um, except me. Okay, uh, come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, farther, excuse me, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delaying, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So here we have Peter, James, and John just abandoning their livelihood, leaving their boats in the water to go follow Jesus and be disciples of Jesus. We also see that Peter was part of, his, of Jesus' inner circle, that there was uh, the 12 disciples, but then he had three that were very close, and that would have been Peter, James, and John. And so this is Mark chapter 5. It says he did not, did not let, excuse me, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. As he, Jesus goes up onto the mountain and the transfiguration, and, and he's there with Moses and Elijah, it's just these three that are there with him. So he's very close with Jesus. But Peter has his highs and his lows, big time. Uh, but he's an all-in kind of a guy, uh, you could say. So what does he say here in John chapter 13, 2 through 11? It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, why are you going to wash my feet? So a little bit of context here. This is Jesus. He's in the upper room. It's Passover. They're about to have their meal together. And Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna, I want you to take off your shoes. Well, they didn't wear shoes. I guess they already had sandals and had their shoes off. And he had his towel, and he wrapped his towel around his waist, and Jesus says, come over here, I'm going to wash all of your feet. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Says Peter. Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, this is, G this is Peter saying this to Jesus, to the Messiah. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Right? Like, no, no, I want, I, okay, listen, if, that's what, if, if I have to leave you, I want you to give me a bath. Right? We're, we're, let's just go. Let's just do this. That's the kind of guy that he was. He's a bath guy. I'm a bath guy. I like baths. High and low, high and low day. Had a, he had a high and low day. This is, this is a fun story. Okay, this is Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 23. This all happens, I mean, within, this is the, the same passage. You're going to see a, a win, a really high thing, and a very low thing. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, you, Petros, the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades, of hell, will not overcome it. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Matthew 16, 18. He says, I'm gonna, you're gonna, we're going to build my church, and I'm going to build my church, Jesus says. But what does he say? He says the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Right? Gates are not um, a, uh, an attacking weapon. Right? So if you, if you try to visualize this, this isn't like Satan attacking the church with a gate. Right? That doesn't make any sense. It's Satan that has his walls and his kingdom of darkness, and the church goes on the offensive. And that's why we say we're going to go into the kingdom of darkness and trash the joint. Because we believe that. Hell will not overcome it. Verse 19, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay, so that's, that's the high. Peter, listen, man, you're going to be my guy. We're going to start the church together through you and with you. And the very next word 
The very next verse says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him to the side and began to rebuke him. All right, so this is the guy who just said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus just said, I'm gonna, we're gonna build my church with you. And he says, never, Lord, that shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, right? Like that's a low. When Jesus says like, hey, we're gonna build a church together. You're, you're the devil, like you are the devil. You're trying to stop me from doing this and from building my kingdom. You are a stumbling block to me. And you do not have a mind that concerns God, but merely human concerns. He then has uh, courage and cowardice. This is um, the night where Jesus is betrayed. So seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. And when some of them had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him seated there and was uh, in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, this is the man that was with him, right? So she's accusing Peter of being with Jesus. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are, the, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, uh, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Right? He denies that he's even with Jesus and that he's part of Jesus. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the words that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly that he had abandoned, he had betrayed his Savior that he was so passionate about before that. We see in John, though, his reinstatement. This is after the, the resurrection, and Jesus is speaking with Peter. And just for time's sake, I kind of skipped down a little bit later. It says, uh, the third time, right? So Jesus does the, kind of the same thing to him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed for yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said, to the, uh, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death for which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. So Peter's death, uh, traditionally the church said October 13th, but right around 64 AD. And that Peter, again, this is not necessarily, uh, it's hard to find concrete evidence on this, but least tradition says that he was actually hung upside down on it when he was crucified because he didn't, know, he didn't want to be crucified the same way Jesus was. He says, I'm not worthy to even die like my Savior. But we see Peter backslide. Even though he was an apostle, even though he was a disciple and very close with Jesus, he betrays Jesus. But then as he builds the church, as he starts in Pentecost and, and does all these things, right? he's the first mega church pastor in Acts chapter two and three. But yet we see him have bad theology even. And Peter, or excuse me, Paul has to confront him. 
The Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 13, when Cephas, Peter, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the, the Jewish Christians. And the other Jewish Christians joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Right, what's going on here? Peter is saying, right, he's, he's cool with the Gentiles. Right, he's saying, no, no, hey, man, listen, you don't have to be a Jew. You can be a Gentile too. We can all serve Jesus. And he would hang out with the Gentiles and he would eat their meat and eat their food and eat their bacon and all this stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, the Jews showed up that were Christians that believed this. And he was like, whoa, 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 yeah, no, I don't, I don't associate with them. They're, they're different. They're, they're, they're below me. They're a part of, they're away from me. And Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face. And he stood condemned. He knew he was wrong. Because there aren't two churches, there aren't Jewish Christians, and there aren't Gentile Christians. There's only one people in Christ. And so then what do we get, though? What do we get when we meet Peter? We meet a bold, passionate, courageous, awkward, flawed failure who still knows he is, a, he is deeply loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. And so when we get to his introduction, I think it's an apology. I think it's my theology has been corrected and I stand corrected. And he says, not even I, Peter, I'm an apostle. I sin just like everybody else and I'm forgiven just like everybody else. And defends who he is. Being an apostle means one who has been specifically chosen by Jesus and sent out to do his work. I am Peter. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So as we get into just these words, we're just gonna, I've only got a, you know, a couple more slides here. Just looking at this, this passage I went through in 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2. He says this, to God's elect, to God's chosen. He starts his book by announcing who he is and then it's immediately about God and his people. And then he goes on and he says, the elect Exiles. I love what one author says, Thomas Schreiner says this, the letter is addressed to the elect, and in the Greek text, the term elect actually modifies the term strangers. So we can translate elect strangers, or elect pilgrims, or aliens, or foreigners. To speak of his readers as elect means they have been chosen by God. Clearly, uh, readers are primarily Gentiles. And as we look at who are the recipients of this book, who are the readers of this book, they would have been Gentiles scattered in that region in Asia Minor. Often, the old, often in the Old Testament, Israel is designated as God's chosen and elect people. Peter indicates at the outset, therefore, that the church of Jesus Christ is the Israel of God that the church has replaced Israel, that we're going together now as one body go forward. And Peter indicates this, that they are his chosen people. And he's going to say this over and over again. He's going to use language all throughout the book that was specifically used for Israel. But he's now going to say, this is the church. He forecasts here the theme of 1 Peter 2.9. The church is called a chosen people. So to God's elect exiles scattered 
Another word would be the dispersion. They're just all over the place. They're, they're scattered around in this area. And again, Carrie uh, Job says this, Peter's description of the recipients as both chosen and foreign defines their identity in relationship to God and to the society in which they live, respectively. And again, I know I've been beating the same drum. There's an introduction to 1 Peter, right? Just setting the plot, right? Where, where are we going? And that's what it's about. Next thing here is to God's elect uh, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, right? This is going to be modern-day Turkey, okay? So that's where this is, over there uh, north of, you know, in, uh, of where Israel is, and then uh, it would be east of where, like, the Greek islands are, okay? Right, right in there. Um, that's, that's this region. And they would have been scattered all over the place. And I'm not going to go into the details of this, but these would have been people that Rome would have, have sent there to, to colonize this and that could have been believers beforehand. It doesn't seem that Peter or Paul had any really connection in even starting these churches. It was like they were Christians that were scattered. They were sent out by the Roman, by the Roman uh, uh, government. That's not the word I'm looking for, empire, <laughs> sure. And they were scattered all over the place, and they started these churches. And now Peter's writing to them. But he says this, too, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. That phrase, that verse right there is just packed with intense theology. Oh, you've been chosen. How have I been chosen? Have I been chosen based on any good things that I've done? Have I been chosen by my merit, by my good outweighing my bad? No, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That before the foundations of the world existed, Pastor Drew talked about this last week, you were chosen. In love, he predestined you. And it's only by the grace and the mercy of God the Father. And he says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And the word there, sanctifying, simply means, is my walk as a believer. There's a, a lot of these phrases. We're talking about justification and sanctification. The way that I, I, I maybe would like to try to describe it would be um, to become a believer, you go from like no faith to having faith or, or, or the walking through the door of the gospel. Right, that, I, that I walk through that door, and for a lot of Christians, we shut that door behind us. We say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm good to go. Right, when I die, hey, I know where I'm going. How about you? Right, and that's all we do. We take that, and we, we use it for an evangelism tool. We just pass it around right, in a tract, or we talk about it. But that same gospel doesn't impact our lives. And what he's saying, what sanctification is then, is I walk a path on the gospel, that my life should be um, consistently and constantly becoming more like Christ. And, and that's the thing. That's why I want to highlight Peter, because he wasn't perfect. He made some really huge errors in his day. But he repented and God used him based on the power and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Why? Because I have to? No. Because of my position in Christ, I now get to do these things. And all the things that Peter is going to outline in, first, in his book, that's what we get to see. And this really is a, what we call an order of salvation. That God does the choosing, the spirit awakens, and then we obey. We respond in faith in Jesus Christ. And the last little part here, and sprinkled with his blood. And if you were here when we went through the book of Exodus, holy smokes, this should just bring alive the Old Testament to you now as a New Testament believer, as a Gentile, that you've been sprinkled with his blood. If you study the book of Leviticus ever, which you should try to do sometime, 
Uh, there are, uh, there's, there's some cleansing rituals they would have to go through. If they ever did anything that made them unclean, they would have to go to a priest. They would go to that priest and say they had leprosy. Right? They had some kind of skin disease, and they were not ever allowed to come in contact with some other human being. They were, they were outcasts. They were in exile outside of the camp in their community. And if they ever got clean by some miracle or, or they got healed, they would have to walk back into town the whole time shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. And so everybody would know, don't touch that guy. Right? He's unclean. And if I touch him, then I'm going to be unclean, and we got to do the whole thing too. And said, so yell, unclean as he made his way to the priest, and the priest would examine them, and he'd say, you're clean. But he wouldn't just say, you're clean. He would take a branch of hyssop. He would take a hyssop branch, and he would dip it in, in blood, and he would sprinkle this person, and he would say, you're clean. You're clean. You're clean. And here, Peter is taking that same language to you who are chosen in Christ and growing in sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. You're clean. You're clean. Not by your own merits, with the blood of Christ and the covenant that he did for us thousands of years ago. And then he ends it with grace and peace be yours in abundance. That Peter, a failure, a sinner can say grace and peace be yours in abundance. So in conclusion, I'm not gonna read the whole thing again, but those seven points that we went over at the beginning. There's some intense things. There's some things that are hard. But as I've been rereading this book over and over and over again, it is unbelievably convicting. And I want to give you hope because Jesus is the hope of the world. The gospel is the hope of the world. And that my, my goal every week as we get into this stuff is not to beat you over the head with a theological tack hand. That's not what I'm going to do. But I want to point out sin. And I want us as a community, as a body of Christ, to kill sin. Put it to death. Let's grow in our relationship with Christ and with each other and with our community. And that's what Peter does in his book. And so, will you take what Peter teaches to heart? Will you do that? Like when we take communion here in just a minute, will you just pray and just say, God, the things that are going to come up in this book, will you just help me? And myself, very much so included in this. I need this book. Will we take it to heart, what Peter says? And finally, we just prepare your heart for what we're going to learn in this study. And again, we didn't get into a lot of the, the details of what it means to be a Christian now in this culture, in this society, and how do we live it out, and how do we act out, and, and what should we do, and how should we live, but we're going to. I just want us to prepare our hearts for that as we spend um, half of this year. It's going to take us all the way to the summer as we get through First um, Peter. So again, we're going to be entering into a time of communion like we do every week uh, here at Lower Town. And we don't uh, ask that you are a member or anything like that. We just say, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you, have you bent your knee to Jesus and say, yes, I want to follow him. I want to partake in this sacrificial meal that Jesus instituted thousands of years ago. And look at the, the bread, which represents his blood, that, or his body that was broken for us, and the, the cup that represents his blood that was shed for us. And as we take these elements, yes, be reminded of what Jesus did, but we'll look around, see the family of believers. It says, yes, we're going to journey through First Peter together. And we're going to grow to love each other and the society. And we're going to learn to kill sin. And we're going to keep each other accountable in that level as well. There's a gluten-free option on this left side over here if, if you need that. Will you bow your heads and pray with me as we take these elements? Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for Peter. I thank you for this book. I thank you for the time and just my job, my occupation that I have the ability to just study this and then be able to take the things that are valuable and important and, and just be able to give that back to your people and to feed your sheep. And so I take the example of, of Peter very seriously. And so God, I pray now that as we open our, our hearts and our minds and singing and praying and taking of these elements, that you'd be honored in that, that you'd be glorified. There wouldn't be any of us who would take it in an unworthy manner because we're not a follower of you. So God, I pray now that this would just be a sweet smell, smell, smelling aroma to you, that you would be able to get pleasure and savor this as we worship you as your body and as your bride, as your church, as your Israel. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.